Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. The following program is a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com to learn more about this and our other weekly storytelling programs and become a patron today to show your support and get instant access to our extensive archive of downloadable ad-free tales of terror. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. Today's episode of Chilling Tales for Dark Nights is proudly brought to you by Shudder the premium streaming video service from AMC Networks with the largest, fastest-growing selection of horror, thriller, and supernatural content in the world. I'll be back after our first story to tell you a little more about tonight's sponsor and a special offer for those of you in our listening audience. Until then, settle in, get cozy, and prepare to be unsettled. The show is about to begin. <laughs> it's time to turn off the lights and turn on the dark. Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. Good evening, listener. You're listening to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. On tonight's program, we invite you to leap behind your safe reality and descend with us into the frightening depths of the most terrifying imaginations with audio adaptations of three rounds of frightening fiction about childish ambitions, horrific handicaps, and fearsome felines. I'm Otis Gyrie, Host Stories Told in the Dark podcast, now in its fourth season, and available on iTunes and wherever podcasts can be found, and I'm filling in for Steve Taylor. Tonight I'll be your host as we traverse the dimly lit corridors of your wildest imaginations. Joining us tonight to help bring our frightening fiction to life are voice actors Jeff Clement, Heather Thomas, and Jesse Cornett. Now, get your ticket ready. Take your seat in our theater of the minds and brace yourself. It's time to turn off the lights. 
and turn on the dark. <laughs> Our first tale tonight is brought to us courtesy of authors Craig Groshek and Blair Daniels and is voiced by Jeff Clement. In it, a gentleman on the path to destruction gets a rude awakening courtesy of two unlikely visitors. The question is, will they heed their warnings? Without further ado, I present to you the Chilling Tales for Dark Knight's original story to Pinocchio's. My phone call was interrupted by mewling at the back door. Meow. Followed by a scratching sound across the glass. It sounded like a cat. Hungry, angry, or both. Look, Jim, I said, trying to ignore the sound. You're going to do fine tomorrow. All you need to remember is that Michael started the fight. Not you, okay? There were no security cameras, no witnesses. It's your word against his. Meow. <sighs> Look, I gotta go, all right? We'll talk tomorrow. I pocketed my cell phone and made my way to the back door. Damn it. Not one, but two stray cats sat on my back porch. Little more than silhouettes in the dying sunlight. I rolled the door open. Hey, scram! I said, shooing them off. They stared up at me. Meow! They were nice looking for cats, I guess. Better looking than the usual mangy strays I saw on the sidewalk, anyway. One was a grey tappy with bright green eyes. The other was black with pale blue eyes the color of the sky. I said, get out of here, I shouted. They didn't move. I sighed and slid the door shut. As soon as it clicked into place, the constant mewling started up again. I popped in earbuds, sat down at my computer, and pulled up my client's case. Jim Walford, charged with aggravated assault. As long as he kept his story straight tomorrow, he was looking at only a few years at most. A high-pitched wail broke my thoughts. I turned to see the two cats still standing on the porch. One was standing on its hind legs now, pressing its paws against the glass. Oh, for Pete's sake! I shoved myself out of the seat and walked over to the door. Get out of... As soon as I yanked the door open, they darted inside... Damn it. The black cat immediately leaped onto my armchair, making itself at home in the soft cushions. The gray one bounded under the table, tail flicking behind it. Both watched me perfectly still. In the inside light, I could tell now that they were wearing lengths of twine around their necks. A silver medal dangled from each. Oh, their owner is going to get an earful. I stormed over to the black one on the armchair. I expected it to dart off as I approached, but instead it stayed perfectly still, watching. I turned the tag over in my fingers. I thought I'd find a phone number or an address. Instead, only one word was engraved on the tag. 
Oggs. Is that your name? Oggs? I bent over and peeked at the grey cat's tag. It read Kiefer. What kind of an owner doesn't even put their contact info on the tag? I stared at the cats. They stared at me. At least they were quiet now. I would have spent more time getting rid of them, but I had a lot of work to do preparing for tomorrow's case. I put a saucer of milk on the floor, which they both bounded over to. Then I sighed, turned from their prying eyes, and sat back down on the computer. I woke up two hours later in my computer chair. I groaned and rubbed my eyes. 1.06 a.m. I'd fallen asleep right at my desk. I lifted my head and glanced around the living room. The cats were gone. My house had a cat door from the previous residence. They must have found it and snuck out. There was no sign that they'd even been here, except for the clumps of grey and black hair shed on the carpet. I hauled myself up to the bedroom and slept for another four hours. Then I put on my suit, drove to court, and promptly forgot all about the cats. My client, Mr. Walfort, was only acting in self-defense, I said, staring into the judge's blue eyes. Michael Scheinman attacked my client. He feared for his life, and he tried everything to get Mr. Scheinman away from him. I glanced at the plaintiff. Mr. Scheinman still had the scars running down his face, starkly white against his bronze skin. His attorney sat next to him, her face twisted with concern. It's a simple case of self-defense, Your Honor. Less than an hour later, we had the verdict. Not guilty. You're amazing, Carlo, Jim whispered to me as we left the courtroom. Thank you. Of course, I said, patting him on the back. I left the courtroom feeling great, looking forward to a long weekend. Until I got home. I heard them before I even opened the door. Meow. Meow. As I stepped in, they both fell silent, staring at me with eyes of blue and green. Damn cats. Just like people. You give them an inch, they take a yard. You give them a little milk, they come back for more. <sighs> Fine, I muttered. I pulled the fridge door open. Milk sloshed in the bowl. With a clink, I set it down on the tile. The cats came running forward. My heart stopped. The cats looked different. Kiefer's snout was slightly scrunched and flattened as if perpetually snarling. Og's sky-blue eyes looked too large for its face. The pupils had thinned to vertical slits despite the dim light. Something was off about their movements too. As they leapt for the milk, they didn't do it with all the grace and elegance of a cat. It was more of a limping, off-tempo motion. Like a child just learning to walk. As their tongues hit the bowl, I jumped back. 
Oh, what was that smell? Not the musty smell of an animal. No. No, the smell of fresh-cut pine. As if they'd both spent their day rolling in pine needles. Or potpourri. A heavy dread settled in my chest. Then I decided to act. I pulled the bowl out from underneath their noses. Get out! I shouted. Out! They shrieked and mewled in protest. I pulled the door open and chased them out. Then I slid the door closed, pulled the blinds shut. Then I pushed the coffee table in front of the cat door. They wouldn't be coming here anymore. The next week went by without incident. I didn't see the cats, and thus I slowly forgot about them. I had more important things to think about, like the Valentino case. It was the first high-profile case I'd ever been assigned. I couldn't screw it up. I met with Mrs. Valentino the evening before the trial. He deserved it, she said in her thick New Jersey accent. In fact, he deserved worse. First, I should have cut off his... As I've said before, Mrs. Valentino, it's not my business whether you're guilty or not. My goal is to get you the best sentence possible. She nodded. You should dye your hair, maybe get glasses, I said, looking over her bleach blonde hair. We're trying for that meek motherly type to win the jury over. Fair enough, she said, shooting me a grin. The day of the trial, things went well. The people of the jury were sympathetic to her story. At least they appeared to be, from their nods and smiles. A few of the women even teared up as she took the stand and sobbed out a fabricated story of how Mr. Valentino cheated on her on their anniversary. Look at her, I said in my closing remarks, gesturing to Mrs. Valentino. Do you really believe that woman could kill the love of her life? She is a mother, an artist, a woman beloved by her community. The forensics don't mean a thing. Of course her fingerprints were all over the crime scene. She was his... I stopped, whipped around. My heart pounded in my chest. Scratch, scratch. I scanned the courtroom. There, a flash of silver among the wooden seats. What? There's no way. Uh, Mr. Collodi? I glanced up at the judge. Yes, sorry. Come on. Keep it together. I sighed and continued. Your Honor, there, there, there simply isn't enough proof to convict this woman. She's in it. A black shadow zipped across the floor behind the jury box. Uh, uh, Your Honor, I, uh. I conclude my argument. I sat down. Sweat poured across my brow. The suit felt tight, hot, constricting. I quickly pulled off the jacket, procuring odd looks from the jury. 
I arrived home, exhausted. The jury was in deliberation, and would be for days, most likely. But after my performance, I had little hope that Mrs. Valentino would end up a free woman. This was supposed to be your big break. Your high-profile case to make you a household name, I told myself. Uh, what would mom and dad think? Angelina and Domenico, two Italian immigrants who owned a tiny restaurant on Maple Avenue. They never thought I would get that far. And maybe now, I never would. I walked up the sidewalk and opened the front door. The strong smell of pine hit me before I even stepped inside. The cats stood in the kitchen, waiting for me. Ogs in the armchair, tail softly flicking behind him, kefir near the back door. They didn't look like cats anymore. They were horribly disfigured. Og's eyes took up half its face. Its nose was elongated and pointed like a shrew's. Kiefer's face crumpled in on itself, a mess of wrinkled fur that sagged and hung off the bones. Their legs were twice as long as they should have been, bending at unnatural angles when they stepped forward, and their eyes were no longer green and blue. They were pure black. I ran at them. Get out! I screamed. Out! Out! A chaotic chase ensued. They darted into the kitchen. I grabbed a skillet and waved it at them, hoping to appear a threat. They dashed past me, underneath my legs into the foyer. Then they slipped out the cat door, mewling. How did they get in? I glanced at the overturned coffee table next to the front door. How did that happen? I grabbed a hammer and a box of nails. Thwack! Thwack! I hammered the cat door shut. That would keep them out. For good. My sleep was plagued with nightmares. Of faceless masked men breaking into my home as they tied me down and cocked a gun against my head. The cats just watched, tails flicking, softly mewling. I woke up in a cold sweat. Gray dawn shone through the window, and I pulled myself out of bed. When I finally got dressed and left the house, I found the only trace of them, a track of muddy footprints leading away from the door. Those were misshapen, too. They looked more like talons than paws. I hurried to work, took the elevator up to the top floor. Gormand and Jenkins, criminal defense. Nearly tripped on the way to my desk. Carlo, are you alright? You look terrible. Mary Whittle walked over to me, her pretty face twisted with concern. Yeah, uh, yeah, I'm okay. I just stressed. I believe it. That Valentino case. Phew. But it's worth it. You already got more media coverage than any other person here. Her eyes lit up. Say, wanna go out tonight? To celebrate? <sighs> the decision's not out yet. 
I'm sure you crushed it. Meet me at seven at the Cedar Grill? Uh, sure. I turned back to my computer, smiling for the first time in a while. Seven arrived quickly. Before I knew it, I was sitting at a table outside, watching the flames of the torch dance. At 7.05, she joined me. Red dress. Heels. Dark hair pulled back in a sleek bun. This was a date. I felt the stress slowly melt away. So, what are your big plans after the Valentino case? Maybe move to New York City? Become some hotshot attorney? She asked, taking a sip of wine. I shot her a smile. I think I just might. I've already got some offers from firms up there, paying double what Gorman and Jenkins does. <sighs> That's great. Yeah, I'm starting to get sick of the firm, too. I'm on the Rivera case, and it's a real doozy. So many pieces of confounding evidence, and... She stopped, mid-sentence, her eyes fixed on a point above my shoulder. Mary? Look. I slowly turned around. The cats. They stood on the street, peering around a parked SUV. Kiefer no longer had ears. Instead, there were just holes on the side of its head. Og's eyes drooped halfway down its face as if melting in the heat. Both stayed perfectly still, watching us. No, 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 no. Carlo? I stood up. We need to move inside. Now. What? Why? They, they keep following me. I can't get rid of them. I, I don't know what they are or why they're doing this to me. Carlo, she said. Her voice was soft and steady as if speaking to a child. Are you afraid of cats? <laughs> Those aren't cats, I said with a scoff. They're monsters. They try to claw their way inside my house every night. They follow me and threaten me. And I turned around. Mary was picking up her purse, heading for the door. Wait, wait. Where are you going? I'm leaving, she huffed. I can't believe I ever asked you out. With a swish of her red dress, she was gone. I was alone. I turned back around. The cats were closer now. Much closer. They sat several feet from the dinner table, watching me. Tails flicking back and forth. I ran. I could hear their claws clicking against the cement, hear their panting breaths, feel their hearts pounding after mine. I ran into the parking lot. I dove inside my car, locked the doors. Then I began to back up. Beep, beep, beep. I glanced at the rearview camera. The two cats stood behind the car, their eyes glowing white on the screen. Knobby, emaciated, legs bent at strange angles. I stomped on the gas. A sickening bump. 
I pulled out of the parking lot without looking back. I arrived home feeling more relaxed than I had felt in weeks. I took off my shoes, sat back in the armchair, and let my body relax. A few seconds later, the scratching started. Scritch, scritch. I sprang up and ran to the windows, peering through the blinds. I saw them there, standing on my porch, scratching at the cat door, more misshapen than ever. I killed you! I screamed. How are you still alive? Why are you doing this to me? I thought back to the first night I brought them in, when they still looked like cats. Then I defended Jim Walford. That's when they started to twist and to deform, taking on their monstrous appearance. They changed even more after I defended Mrs. Valentino. Even more after I lied to Mary about getting lucrative job offers. Lies. They're after me because of all the lies I've told. Scritch. Scritch. The scratching sound pounded in my ears, but I tried to shut it out. I pulled out my cell phone and dialed the police. Westchester Police Department, how can I... I have information on the Valentino case, I blurted. I must have sounded like a madman, panting, shaking, nearly crying. I I need to discuss it with you immediately. As soon as I spoke, the scratching stopped. Telling the police everything meant breaking attorney-client privilege. I swiftly lost my law license and found myself unemployed immediately thereafter. Despite knowing I did the right thing, I quickly spiraled into depression as I spent every day alone in my house, wondering where to go from here. Seven days later, I heard it. Meow. I looked out the window. There the two cats stood. Ogs and Kiefer. They had both returned to their original feline forms. Fluffy, cute, watching me with their blue and green eyes. After a moment's hesitation, I opened the door. They bounded in. I filled a bowl with milk, just like I used to, and set it down on the floor. They lapped it up excitedly. As I watched them, the thought came to me. The little restaurant on Maple Avenue. My dad was always looking for hard-working, honest employees. I'd make a quarter the salary I did at Gorman and Jenkins, and the hours would be tough. But at least I wouldn't be lying. Getting guilty people off the hook. Protecting murderers like Mrs. Valentino. A month later, I was moved out of the house, making the drive across the country back to my hometown. And that's where I am now. I like it here. The work is harder. No sitting in an air-conditioned office all day, raking in heaps of money. But it's honest work. 
As I finished bussing the last table, I heard my dad's voice from behind the counter. Time to close up, he said, shooting me a smile. Uh, just a second. I walked into the kitchen and grabbed the brown paper bag of leftover scraps. I continued out the back door into the dark alleyway next to the dumpster. I whistled. Two cats came bounding out of the darkness. A black cat and a gray tabby. Here you go, Oggs, I said, placing down a leftover piece of fish. And kefir. They looked just like they were supposed to. Moss green and sky blue eyes. Pink noses, cute little paws, fluffy fur. Just two cats enjoying the night's leftovers. I smiled and headed back inside the restaurant. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. I hope you enjoyed The Two Pinocchios by Craig Groshek and Blair Daniels, as performed by Jeff Clement. Up next, we've got a tale for you. From author Moonlit Cove, that asks the question, If you can't see it, how can you see something coming for you? <laughs> Before I proceed, however, I'd like to tell you a bit more about tonight's sponsor, Shudder, the only video streaming service for horror fans like you and I, and a special offer they've got for those of you listening in tonight. AMC Network's Shudder is a premium streaming video service Super-serving fans of all degrees with the best selection of horror and thrillers. Shudder's irrepressible and thriving community revels in all things provocative, evocative, and dangerous. From bantering with Shudder on social media and contributing fantastic irreverent reviews to relishing in member-only perks such as exclusive releases and VIP movie screenings, Shudder believes there is safety in numbers. Don't be left in the dark alone. You can stream great thrillers, horror, and suspense for just $5.99 per month, or save yourself nearly $15 and sign up annually for only $56.99 per year. Shudder has the largest, fastest-growing, human-curated selection of thrilling and dangerous entertainment. Think of it as the Netflix for horror. You can count on Shudder.com to keep you guessing with the unexpected. Each and every week, 
new edge-of-your-seat suspense, spine-tingling thrillers, and shocking horrors are added to their already formidable library. And Shudder is uncluttered, too. After signing up, you'll have unlimited access to stream ad-free on all your favorite devices, including iPhone and iPad, Apple TV, Android devices, Roku, Amazon Fire TV, Google Chromecast, and for our gamers out there, the Xbox One. So, no matter what your device of choice may be, there's no need to go without your fix of the frightening. Shudder's got your back. And best of all, Shudder's content is unparalleled in the genre, with a unique collection of exclusive and original films and series, horror classics, and blockbuster hits you'll never run out of nightmare fuel. We here at Scary Stories Told in the Dark have been signed up with Shudder for months now, and I can't believe what we're missing out on. Collections like classic slashers take me back to the glory days of suspense, and if you're in the mood for some femme fatales, the Vengeance is Hers set will make certain you'll never underestimate a woman's penchant for mayhem again. And of course, there are horror comedies too, so you can enjoy a good laugh at someone else's expense. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> My team and I love the classics, so that alone was worth the price of admission for us. Once you add in all the vast selection of new content and their extensive exclusive library, none of which you'll find on Netflix, there's no reason to ever look anywhere else for our horror film fix. The exclusives they have, and are always adding, are absolutely incredible. The new Shudder original, A Discovery of Witches, is available now, in which brilliant historian Diana Bishop is a witch denying her own heritage. But when she unexpectedly calls up an ancient bewitched manuscript, which she finds herself thrown into the heart of a dangerous mystery and into the path of the enigmatic geneticist and vampire Matthew Claremont, uh, you won't want to miss it. You will also enjoy Monster Party, a new Shudder exclusive centered around three young men who infiltrate a mansion dinner party secretly hosted by a group of recovering murderers for their social elite. And in Stanley's Lucky Man, another feature available only on Shudder that asks, what if you could control luck? Would that be the greatest power you could give a man or his worst nightmare? In Lucky Man, Shudder's bold crime thriller, a brilliant but flawed cop can do just that, when he becomes the unexpected recipient of a very unusual superpower. All of this is just the tip of the blood-soaked iceberg. There's so much more lurking inside, just waiting to be discovered. Best of all, Shudder's always got something amazing to look forward to. On June 6th, just last month, their brand new exclusive film, Boar, went live, and you can check it now, included with your membership. And last month, two other originals, The Night Shifter and The Ranger, landed on the network. You won't want to miss any of them, and you don't have to when you sign up today. All of this, and much, much more, is available and at your fear-loving fingertips for just $5.99 a month. And this month, as a listener of this program, you can get 30 days of Shudder totally free 
by using promo code CTDN. That's right. To try Shudder free for 30 days, go to Shudder.com. That's S-H-U-D-D-E-R.com and use promo code CTDN to let them know that Otis Jiry and Chilling Tales for Dark Knight sent you. Simple as that. Once again, that's shudr.com and promo code CTDN. Thanks so much for listening and for giving Shudder a try this month. What have you got to lose except for maybe some sleep? <laughs> And now that we've delivered you a fuel tank of nightmare fuel, courtesy of Shudder, allow me to rekindle the digital campfire of my own design with a frightening tale. Up next, we leave behind the perils of lying for a living and explore the horrors of being handicapped. As if being born blind and dealing with everyday pitfalls isn't enough, the protagonist in our next story is forced to deal with danger of a far more dastardly variety as well. From an author known only by the moniker Moonlit Cove, as brought to life by voice actress Heather Thomas, I present to you Blindness. It's true what they say, that when a person goes blind, their other senses heighten in order to compensate. Knowing that, and thinking back on everything that happened to me, I still can't come to a rational conclusion of how these events unfolded around me without my knowledge. Granted, I couldn't actually see any of it happening, but I never suspected anything of this magnitude when judging solely on the minor oddities that I had experienced. Sure, every once in a while I would hear noises, but my house was old and seemed to have a mind of its own. All of its pops and creaks had become just as familiar to me as navigating its interior without the benefit of sight. Even when things began to turn more bizarre, I always found a way to rationalize them away. Looking back, I asked myself, how could I have been so... well, for lack of a better word blind. My mother had tried to convince me not to move into the house alone. Sarah, a young blind woman shouldn't be living all by herself, she'd said. But I wanted to. Needed to. I needed to prove to myself that I was strong enough to do it. Besides that, as a 24-year-old, I didn't want to live with my parents forever and I sure didn't want to wait around for a nice man to marry and move in with. That may never happen. Having lost my sight at an early age, due to a freak accident with industrial-strength cleaning chemicals, I knew all too well the nuances of learning to create a mental map of my surroundings. When I first moved into the old house, I used my cane exclusively, I waved it back and forth in front of me with every step I took. I knew roughly where all the furniture was since I was the one that directed the movers on where to put everything. I employed the cane for nearly a week, 
using its tip to develop a mental image of the layout. The learning process was slow and clumsy at first, but I eventually got to the point that I was able to shed my cane after several days and began walking cautiously with my arms extended. I progressed further and became familiar enough with the territory that by the end of the first month, I was able to walk freely without the use of my cane or arms or any other aid. I became quite adept at moving throughout the house freely. Not only that, but the house was located in a somewhat urban area which made it convenient to walk to any place I had the need. The grocery was only three blocks away. There was a department store across the street from that, and a bank and coffee shop just a bit further on. I got used to listening to the flow of traffic, and timing the lights in my head so I would know when the walk and don't walk signals were lit. Occasionally, a kind stranger would offer to take my hand and lead me across. I would thank them and we would part ways once we were safely on the next sidewalk. In those days, I was working from home making phone calls to patients that had recently been discharged from the hospital. In essence, I was being paid by the hospital to administer surveys that were then used to improve their services. The hospital was kind enough to provide me with a laptop computer that contained several different voice command software applications. I spent my days transcribing the recorded phone calls by speaking the customer's answers into a microphone and having the data fields automatically populate accordingly in the program. The first odd event that I remember was on one particular day when I got up from my work desk for a lunch break. As I was headed into the kitchen, I kicked an object in the middle of the living room floor. I heard it slide a short distance on the carpet. I knew that I hadn't left anything in the way of my path, as I had just been through there not even an hour ago, and there was nothing on the floor. I knelt down and padded around until I located the object. A book. By feeling its braille title, I recognized it as a book on national parks that I kept on my coffee table, some five feet away. I didn't remember knocking the book off the table. I stood there, perplexed. The longer I thought about it, though, the less frightening it became to me. I convinced myself that I must have simply forgotten about knocking the book to the floor, and I must have stepped over it or next to it during my other passes through the room. I returned the book to its place on the table and went about making my lunch. That night, while lying in bed, I heard a sound that came from the kitchen. It was almost entirely masked by the usual sounds of the pops and creaks from the house settling, but I definitely heard it, faint as it was. It was a very light humming noise. So light, in fact, that an average person without enhanced hearing may not have heard it at all from this distance. I slowly got out of bed, listening intently, the sound increasing as I made my way down the hallway and through the living room. As soon as I passed through the threshold into the kitchen, 
I knew what the sound was. It was the compressor motor on the refrigerator, and it was substantially louder than usual. I approached the appliance and found that its door was standing wide open. I eased it shut, and the hum returned to a normal volume. What on earth? Did I leave this open? I questioned myself in a whisper. Maybe it didn't close all the way the last time I swung it shut, I thought. I returned to bed and had trouble finding sleep. My mind wandered and questioned how I could have overlooked the fallen book and the open fridge door when they'd first happened. The next morning, I decided to go have breakfast at Espresso Express, the little coffee shop up the road. They served excellent coffee, and you could also get a ham and cheese croissant melt that was to die for. That alone was worth the effort of showering, dressing, and leaving the safety of the house to be plunged into a buzz of whizzing traffic, honking horns, and people clamoring on the sidewalks. On that morning, a gentle stranger helped guide me across the intersection just ahead of the coffee shop. I said, Thank you, as they released my arm. But there was no response. He or she was lost in the shuffle of people on cell phones, their conversations momentarily audible to me as they passed in front of and behind me. The tinny sound of a bicycle bell alarmed me, and I felt the breeze left behind when the rider whipped past. I entered the coffee shop to a much more serene environment, and enjoyed my favorite breakfast at a seat near the plate glass window bathed in the sunlight that washed in on me. That afternoon, I took a break from making phone calls to use the bathroom. As I was seated on the toilet, I heard something next to me. It was as if something had brushed against the sink, an ever-so-subtle sound. My heart rate rose, and my brow furrowed as I strained to listen closer. All I could hear was my pulse throbbing in my ears. Suddenly, a wall clock in the living room chimed four o'clock, startling me to the point that I jumped slightly while still seated there. I regained my composure, washed up, and returned to the computer to transcribe the data from my phone surveys. I closed the laptop and went to make dinner at 6.30. Over the years, I had learned to be extra careful when dealing with the hot oven and burners, once I had accidentally set a plastic plate directly onto a burner that was still hot, resulting in a cloud of noxious fumes that lasted for days, long after I'd finished cleaning up the mess. I was lucky that it had burned itself out, and the damage wasn't any worse. After that close call, I bought a small fire extinguisher to keep on the countertop next to the oven. On this particular night... I made my dinner without any risk of fire. However, the undertaking wasn't completely without incident. As I proceeded to make dinner, I discovered that the canned goods I needed for the recipe were missing from the cupboard. I have always kept my canned goods in very specific places on the shelves so that I would always know what was what without the benefit of being able to see the labels. 
I don't remember using up the items I needed that night, but apparently I already had. So, I opted to make a casserole instead. I sat at the dinner table, enjoying the simple meal I had made. The television was playing in the background, filling me in on all the day's news headlines. I finished the first portion on my plate and reached to dip into the casserole dish once more. I scraped the inside of the dish, the sounds of metal on ceramic echoing throughout the kitchen. It was empty. I can't believe it. I couldn't have already eaten it all, I said incredulously. I had thought for sure that I'd prepared a bigger portion than that, and I didn't remember emptying the dish fully onto my plate. Thoughts ran through my head in an attempt to reason out the matter. Had it baked up to be less than I anticipated? Had I spilled some on the table while dishing it onto my plate? In search of the missing food, I placed the palm of my hand on the tabletop and moved it steadily over the area within my reach. As I was doing so, there was a distinct movement in front of me. I gasped, and my heart rate immediately quickened. I felt the blood pulsing through my neck. This sound was not as subtle as the others I had been hearing. It was obvious. A sudden motion of something moving across from me. I continued listening, but all I could hear was the much too chipper weatherman on TV giving the forecast. Suddenly, I was overwhelmed with the feeling that I was no longer alone at the kitchen table. Is someone there? I called out, hoping there was no reply. Silence. I felt a shift in the air pressure, as if something moved behind me, followed by the creak of a floorboard. I froze. Something brushed against the back of my hair, gentle as a feather. I recoiled and let out a squeal. I shot up out of my chair, made my way to the corner of the kitchen, and turned to face the interior of the room. Who's there? I demanded. No answer. By this time, I was breathing heavily, practically hyperventilating. My chest and throat radiated heat as my heart raced inside, giving me the sensation of acute indigestion. I thought I might vomit. I slowly made my way to the doorway, leading into the living room. I stood there for what seemed like an eternity, listening for something, anything that would explain the circumstance. Eventually, I moved on and worked my way into the hallway bathroom. I locked the door behind me. It took over an hour and a half for me to calm down. While in the locked bathroom, I wrestled with my thoughts. I reasoned with myself. I didn't want to admit that my mother was right, but maybe I shouldn't be living alone. It appeared to be taking its toll on me. On the other hand, all these things could be logically explained, I told myself. If I wasn't blind, 
I'd have seen whatever it was that caused the noises. And it would be so obvious. I'd laugh at how ridiculous it was to be scared of it, I'm sure. At least, that's what I tried to convince myself. What finally brought me out of the bathroom was the ringing of the telephone. I admit, it startled me at first, but only because it had been so quiet for the last two hours. I cautiously opened the door and entered the hallway. My phone was in the living room. I approached it quickly and answered. Hello? Hey, Sarah. It's Jill. <laughs> Thank God. It was just my friend Jill. Hi, Jill. How's it going? Oh, I'm doing good. I saw you at Espresso Express today, she said in a playful tone, which I didn't understand initially. You did? Mm-hmm. I saw you in the window when I walked by on the sidewalk. Still in a playful tone. Well, why didn't you come in and say hi? I asked. I didn't want to disturb you. Disturb me? Why would you be disturbing me? Because, silly. I assumed you were on a date. Who's the lucky guy that was sitting with you? My mouth slacked open. I couldn't breathe. I couldn't form words. Sarah? Jill asked. Are you okay? I dropped the phone. I could still hear Jill's muffled voice, even though the speaker was face down on the carpet. I frantically made my way around the house, arms flailing in front of me. Who are you? I yelled into the house. What do you want? I was terrified, but also angry. I felt violated. I didn't necessarily want to encounter whatever it was, but I couldn't go on hiding in my own house any longer. I spent hours searching every square inch of the property and found nothing. I finally went to bed after I was able to calm down, but I did not fall asleep until the wee hours of the morning. A light, rustling sound woke me not long after I fell asleep, still in the dark hours of early morning. I wasn't sure at first if it was real, or if I had dreamed the noise. As I was about to get up, I noticed that the sheets next to me were pulled back. I stretched out my right arm into the empty space beside me. It felt warm, as if someone had been lying there with me. The events of the previous day flooded back into my memory. My sightless eyes welled up with tears as I began to question my own sanity. Frustrated, I bolted up and out of the bed. I threw on some old clothes and headed toward the front door with the intention of fleeing the house, unsure exactly where I was going to go. Maybe Jill's place? She lived fairly close. I wanted to take my cane with me, as I always did whenever I went outdoors. I searched the house frantically, unable to remember where I'd left it. 
I almost always left it propped against the wall by the front door, but it wasn't there. I made my way along all of the perimeter walls, feeling desperately for the cane. When I neared the kitchen, I still had not found my walking aid, but I made a discovery of a much more startling nature. A barely detectable vertical crevice in the wall I had not known about previously. I used all my fingers to follow the crease up the wall, across the top, and down the other side. It was a doorway, designed to fit perfectly flush within the wall. I leaned my weight inward against the panel and felt a slight give on its right side. I worked my fingers into the crevice on that side the best I could, eventually prying the panel free. It swung open to the left. I gasped in shock and my pulse quickened. A hidden room, right in the center of my house. How I wish I would have had sight at that moment. I faced a completely unexplored territory inside my own house with the possibility that someone else was in there with me. I entered slowly, arms extended. Is someone in here? I whispered, afraid to ask the question. There was no response. I stepped forward. To my right, I discovered a flat surface, a tabletop. I ran my hands along its surface. On top of the table, I was able to make out several unopened cans of food. No doubt these were the missing canned goods I'd been looking for. The table also contained silverware and a can opener that disappeared weeks ago. My heart rate increased even more and my palms began to sweat. I worked my way forward until I came to a wall that I knew bordered the living room. I found a hole the size of a quarter at eye level. Sweat began to form on my brow as well. I found another similar hole on the next adjacent wall. This wall bordered the bathroom. Tears started to well up in my eyes. I was able to find two more holes on the two remaining walls bordering the kitchen and the bedroom. I dropped to my knees in absolute horror and disbelief. How long had this person been watching me? How could I have not known? My hands were on the floor in front of me, and I felt something soft. I investigated further with my fingertips. It was some sort of comforter or sleeping bag. At one end was a fluffy pillow. At this point, I was not only terrified beyond description, but I was also furious. How dare someone spy on me covertly from within my own walls? I knew I had to run out of the house and get to safety immediately, with or without my cane. I decided I would go to Jill's house and we'd call the police from there. I made my way to where I remembered the hidden door to be, my arms sweeping the area ahead of me in a panic. Instead of the open door, my hands found the warm torso of a human. 
a male, standing silently in the doorway. He grabbed both my arms and pulled me out of the hidden room and into the house. We struggled in the kitchen. I kicked at him and screamed as loud as I could into his ears. I was able to get one arm free, and I used it to grasp for the fire extinguisher that I knew would be by the oven. He attempted to pull me away, but my fingers reached its nozzle. I swung it at him, feeling the metal cylinder connect with the back of his skull. He released my other arm, and I pulled the trigger in his direction, enveloping him in a cloud of white foam. I ran into the utility room off of the kitchen, where I knew my only advantage existed. The fuse box. I found the box and tripped every lever I could find, eliminating all power from the house. If this perverted psycho wanted to kill me, he'd have to do it on an equal playing field. In the dark. The intruder had not followed me into the utility room. The fire extinguisher must have dazed him. I remembered the toolbox I kept in that room, and I quickly retrieved the longest screwdriver I could find. I stood in the corner and listened carefully. If he was still conscious, he would not be able to move around in the pitch darkness without creating noise. I would surely detect his movements. I held the screwdriver against my chest, gripping its handle tightly with both hands. I felt my wildly beating heart against the side of my fist. After an eternity... I moved forward a bit. I may have knocked him out, or even killed him. I had to make sure. I left the utility room and entered the kitchen. There was still no sound from anywhere in the house. I passed into the living room and headed toward the front door. Halfway through the room, I could feel his presence. Something in the air around me had shifted. Without warning, there was breath on the back of my neck, followed by a deep whisper directly in my ear. The showers were my favorite. I screamed and swung around, stabbing the screwdriver into empty air. I ran for the door. It was merely a few feet away, but I couldn't reach it due to the resistance I met when the voyeuristic brute's arms wrapped around my waist. He wrestled me to the floor and straddled me. I tightened my grip on the tool and plunged it as hard as I could into his side. I shudder to think about it when I recount the feeling of the steel shaft separating two of his ribs. It was horrid and I was only able to stomach it, knowing that if I hadn't acted, my life would have ended then. The man winced in pain and let out a deep, growling grunt. He fell backward and rolled off of me. I turned over onto my chest and pushed up off the floor, then crawled over to the couch and used it to get back onto my feet. I still held the screwdriver, a warm trickle of blood seeping onto my knuckles. 
I could tell that the intruder was writhing around on the floor near the doorway. I would have to exit through the back door. From the opposite end of the living room, I entered the sunroom where the door was located. I wasn't as familiar with this entry point, causing me to fumble around with the deadbolt and screen door locks for longer than I would have liked. I knew there were concrete stairs leading to a flat patio. How many steps? Four? Five? I couldn't remember. I proceeded slowly. The last thing I needed was to fall and twist my ankle. After navigating the steps, I came to the end of the patio, which emptied into a narrow alleyway between the shotgun-style houses behind mine. My steps were slow and cautious. My hands told me that there was a brick wall to my right, and a brick wall about five feet to my left, the sides of the two houses. I was entering unfamiliar territory without the benefit of my cane. My breathing was frantic and the tears continued to fill my useless eyes. I kicked something and nearly fell over. It felt plastic. A child's toy, maybe? I was moving much too fast compared to my level of comfort with the surroundings. But I had no choice as footsteps were approaching behind me. I picked up the pace, waving the screwdriver out in front to buffer my impending collision with any obstacles. Ten more feet of forward progress, and the screwdriver alerted me, with metallic clanging, to the presence of a chain-link fence connecting the two houses. I stopped and cried out, my voice breaking up through my tears. No! <laughs> I turned around, my back to the fence. I began swinging the screwdriver violently. Leave me alone! I screamed. More hyperventilating. More tears. The man approached slowly, and then stopped just a few feet away from me. I got the feeling that he could see what he was doing. Either there was an electric light in this alley, or the dawn had already crested enough that ample ambient light was available. I didn't know which one was the case, because I had no idea what time it was. Knowing I was about to die, I just wanted answers. How long? I managed to ask. How long have you been in there? My voice was angrier than I'd expected. Since before you lived there, he replied calmly, his voice deep. I got lucky with you, a blind girl. With the others, I couldn't come out into the open when they were home. I couldn't sit and eat dinner with them. I couldn't stand over them while they worked at their computers. I couldn't go to the coffee shop with them. There was a pause as he moved even closer. I couldn't stand next to them in the bathroom. I cried uncontrollably in the whirlwind of emotions. I had never before felt so violated, so angry, and so terrified all at the same time. There was sudden movement again in front of me. 
Don't touch me! I demanded as I held up the screwdriver. I don't know exactly how it happened. I don't know if he didn't see the tool or just didn't care, knowing that he was caught. But as he lunged forward, he managed to impale himself on the screwdriver and pinned me up against the fence. My hands were still gripping the handle, but it was so deep inside him that his shirt was touching my fist. His breathing became gurgled, and his last words to me were, I couldn't snuggle next to them in bed either. We collapsed together as one unit. The fence tore at my back as we slid down to the ground. His dead weight nearly crushed me, but I managed to push him off and crawl away. I crawled all the way back to my house, in through the back door and into the living room to my phone. I sobbed hysterically as I keyed in the digits 911 and fell to the floor. I hope you enjoyed Blindness by Moonlit Cove as performed by Heather Thomas. Up next, we've got one fine tale for you from author Nathaniel Lewis, written exclusively for Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. In it, two childhood friends, desperate to become the comic book heroes they so revere, go to extreme measures to gain superpowers with unexpected consequences. As performed by actor Jesse Cornett, I present to you, I held my head near my microwave for a month in an effort to gain superpowers. It didn't work. Kids do dumb shit. Uh, Adults do dumb shit, too. Uh, But generally, you don't see them trying to radiate their own brains by pressing their skulls against the glass of a 1987 Panasonic microwave while it's running on high. But that's what I did for a month straight. Now, I was 11 at the time, and Watchmen had just wrapped up its run. Charlie was my best friend, and we'd take turns shelling out our allowance for the latest issue and then trade it back and forth. It was all over our heads, except we knew that Dr. Manhattan was cool as hell and that, like a lot of comic book characters, he'd gotten his superpowers through radiation. My mom's always telling me not to stand too close to the microwave while it's running or I'll get radiation. Charlie remarked one day. Wonder if that would actually work. My mom says the same thing, I said. So it's probably true. Bet if I held my hand in front of it long enough, I could suck up the power and then shoot it out, said Charlie. Bet if I put my head in front of it, I could start to read minds, I said. And so... It began. The plan was simple. Every night, I would wait for my mother to go to sleep and then sneak down to the kitchen. Then I'd hold my head against the front of the microwave while it was running for 30 minutes. Then, eventually, I would acquire telepathic abilities. 
after the first two weeks, it was starting to look like a bust. I met Charlie after class one day and asked him if anything was happening with him. He wiggled his fingers around, as if trying to coax out a blast of radiated energy, but nothing came out. Yeah, he said. Not yet. How long do we have to keep doing it? I asked. I'm really tired. Could be a sign that you're starting to change, he suggested. Yeah, I said. Maybe. We parted ways, and I headed home. I was feeling pretty pessimistic about the whole thing. After dinner, I went up to my room and reread the issues of Watchmen that were currently in my possession. Dr. Manhattan was so powerful. I, on the other hand, was a wimp. I sucked at all the sports, and girls scared me. I wanted just a taste of that power. Just an edge to make me something more than a barely average kid. I decided to give the microwave thing another shot. I kept reading until I heard my mom go upstairs and get in bed. I waited a little while longer, then crept down to the kitchen. I dragged a stool over from the island, turned the dial to 30 minutes on high, and pushed start. I pressed my face up against the glass, as usual. I always kept my eyes wide open, because I knew if I closed them, I would fall asleep. The dull hum of the radiation being blasted into the oven was sort of soothing, and just a little harsher than those white noise machines that some people use to put themselves to sleep. But the glaring light inside kept me awake. I knew that I had to stay awake or else my mom would find me there in the morning with my face smushed up against the microwave, and I'd get in big trouble. I had a lot of time to think. Well, 30 minutes to think. And on that night, I decided that if I didn't have some hints of telepathic powers by the next day, I'd call the whole stupid thing off and just accept that I was a nerd who would never be popular or successful. But... Something did happen that night. About halfway through my session, I started to feel a strange sensation, like I was being pulled out of my own body. That's the only way I can describe it, but it wasn't even quite like that. I could still feel my body, could still feel my cheek pressed up against the glass, could still feel my back starting to hurt from being hunched over in such an uncomfortable position... I could still hear the drone of the microwave and see the light coming from inside. But I could feel something else, too. Like a part of me was being pulled out. And then I started to experience two things at the same time. In one place, I was still in my kitchen, sitting on the stool. In another, I was on my back. I felt naked and like I was laying on something cold. Up above me were bright lights, and all around me were humming noises. I couldn't see or hear or feel anything beyond that. I'm dreaming, I thought. I fell asleep, and I'm dreaming. I, I better wake up, or Mom's gonna kill me. 
but I was still there, in the kitchen, awake. Or it felt that way. I tried to peel my face off the glass of the microwave door and look around, but I couldn't move, and I couldn't look around in this other place. I now realized because my head was strapped down in position. Then everything went dark, and I woke up in my bed with my mother calling to me that it was time to get up for school. That day, I caught up with Charlie after social studies. Hey, hey, anything weird happened to you last night? I asked. Nah, said Charlie, flexing his hand. I think this whole microwave thing was a dumb idea. Why? Something happened with you? I, I had a weird dream, that's all. Can you read my mind right now? No. Charlie shrugged. Yeah, we gotta find something else to do now. Yeah, I said. But I didn't find something else to do. That night, I was back in the kitchen, turning the dial on the microwave. I'd snuck a can of Coke into my room after dinner and chugged it at 9 p.m., I had to stay awake so I could know for sure whether the previous night had been a crazy dream or an even crazier reality. I pushed the start button and pressed my head against the microwave. For a long time, nothing happened. Of course, it was a dream, I thought. You can't get superpowers from a microwave, and you can't be in two places at once. And then, I felt the pull, and suddenly, I was in two places at once. I was still in the kitchen, and I was also back there, strapped to a table of some sort under the glaring lights. A dream, I thought, and I tried to pull my head away from the microwave like I had the night before. This time, it worked. All at once, I felt myself rushing back into myself and the other reality disappeared. I stood up and went to the sink for a glass of water. I heard the clock ticking away, barely audible over the hum of the microwave. I hadn't fallen asleep. I, I knew that. I'd felt wide awake when I started the microwave experiment that night and I still felt wide awake. But if I hadn't fallen asleep, then how could I feel so vividly that I was in two places at once? I was, as they say nowadays, shook. I felt woozy and scared and wanted to wake Mom up and tell her what was going on. But another part of me said, if you do that, then you'll always be a loser. It's time to man up. Which was, without a doubt... An extremely dumb thought. The microwave was still going, the mechanics inside turning around and around, the light as bright as ever, and the droning hum as persistent as ever. I walked over to it and took a deep breath. Then I reset the dial for 30 minutes, sat back down, and once again pressed my face up to the door. Then 
I was back on the table, and now there was somebody standing over me. It was my father. He had died two years ago of a heart attack, but there he was, standing over me, looking down. Dad? I heard myself say. Don't be afraid, Dan, he said, smiling. It's me. I never left you, really. I've always been here, behind the thinnest of curtains. What's happening? Am I dreaming? You were, said my father. Now you're awake, or nearly there. You just need to pull the curtain back a little more. Why am I strapped down like this? I asked. You're not, he said, snapping his fingers. And then, I wasn't. I lifted my head and looked around. I was in the middle of a circular room on a metal table with a light on a stand above me. All around me were people who looked like doctors in white coats writing things down on their clipboards. Then there was my father right next to me, offering out his hand. Meanwhile, I saw the plate spinning around and around in the microwave under the bright light and felt my face plastered to the glass door. I heard the same old uninterrupted hum. I took my father's hand. What is this place? I asked. How, how can I be in two places at once? Who are those doctors? What's happening? I'm so scared. My father's smile grew wider. We'll talk later. Okay, bud? The microwave stopped humming, and then I was back in one place. I lifted my head and looked around. Uh, I was in my kitchen. I heard the clock ticking and the refrigerator buzzing. That wasn't a dream, I thought. That happened. I reset the dial on the microwave, pushed start, and laid my head against it again and then woke up the next morning in my bed. That day, I was distracted all through school, thinking about what had happened or hadn't happened. It had felt so real, like I was really there in this other place with my father, but that was so weird and unlike anything I'd ever heard of before. Science was the last class of the day, and after the bell rang, I stayed behind and approached the teacher. Mr. Lockwood, I have a question. Good. I like questions. Shoot. Can people be in two places at once? Mr. Lockwood smiled. Well, I'd say that you proved it was possible today, Dan. Your body was here, but your mind was somewhere far off. What's going on? Where was your mind? That's the part I want here. Your body's just a hunk of meat and better off in phys ed. 
the mind is where it's at. No. I mean, can a person, like, really be in two places at once? Well, huh. Physically, no. Uh, there's a branch of science that says very small things can, in a sense, exist in two places at once. Uh, that's quantum physics. Very advanced stuff. Yeah, frankly, it's above my pay grade, but I'm happy to see you take an interest. Oh, I said. Small things, but, but not, not big things, like people. So if someone like... <laughs> They were in two places at once. It would just be in their head? That's right. Has something like this been happening to you? Suddenly, I felt very silly. No, no. I was just asking because of, of a comic book. I, I didn't think you could do that, be in two places at once like that. Mr. Lockwood smiled. Now, between you and me, Dan, off the record, who knows? There's so much about the universe that we know nothing about. And we know how to make balls bounce and why it seems to work. And we know how to prevent polio. We know when and where the dinosaurs lived. We know a lot, but we don't know everything. So my official answer is no. Be a good boy. And read your textbook. But off the record, who knows? Never stop wondering. Never stop trying to figure things out. Well, I could tell that he was just trying to be nice, but it made me feel better anyway. Thanks, Mr. Lockwood, I said. And I left the classroom. I was so tired from staying up late for two weeks in a row. On the bus ride home, everything around me seemed like a fuzzy blur. I'm going nuts, I thought. I need to sleep more. I decided that I wouldn't sneak down to the kitchen that night. I'd go to sleep at my appointed bedtime and then wake up the next day refreshed. I'd see clearly how silly the whole thing was, how it had all been in my head. But it didn't work out that way. That night, I did try to go to sleep at my bedtime, but I couldn't. I felt wired, like I had just come out of a good movie after drinking a shitload of coke and eating a ton of candy. I couldn't shut my brain off. The worst thing about it all had been feeling like my father was really there. It had taken me long enough to accept that he was really gone, and just when I had, there he was, reaching his hand out to me. I felt like crying, but I told myself that it was all a trick of my head due to lack of sleep. I heard my mother come up and settle into her room down the hall. Still, I couldn't sleep but I resolved not to go downstairs no matter what. I resolved to put the whole thing behind me. Then, I heard my father's voice, crystal clear, inside my head. Dan, come on down to the microwave. I miss you so much. 
We were making such progress. Dad? I whispered. Is it really you? Yes. But we can't talk here. Come down to the microwave and we can talk there. It was so real. I couldn't resist it. I, I couldn't turn my back on my father. I needed him. I loved him so much. I got out of bed and crept down the stairs and into the kitchen. I pulled up my stool, started the microwave, and pressed my face against it. My father was standing there then. He looked different, older and sick. So did all of the people sitting around the room with their clipboards. Dad? Are, are you okay? My father smiled. I am now, Dad. But, but listen, please don't leave me here again like that. And when you do, it hurts me. If you stay away for too long, I'll, I'll shrivel up and die. I, I won't leave you again, Dad. I promise. I, I'll be here every night. That's good, Dad. That's very good. Now, I want you to lie back down on this table here and let the good doctors look you over. Okay? Oh, okay, I said. I put my head against the cold metal table and looked up at the light. And then there was a doctor standing over me. And then I was waking up back in my bed as my mother called for me to get up and get dressed for school. I hardly remember anything about the next week and a half. Only in jagged flashes. During the day, I started to fall apart. I couldn't focus on anything and I refused to eat. I stopped talking to people. My mother pulled me out of school and shuffled me from doctor to doctor. It wasn't until I was admitted overnight at a hospital and could no longer press my head up against the microwave that this all finally stopped. Before that happened, I visited the other place every night. I don't remember much, but I remember that the doctors poked me with a lot of needles and hooked me up to a lot of strange-looking devices. They were always writing on their clipboards. I got a look at what they were writing once, and it was in a strange language, full of weird symbols. My father and the doctors started to change over time. They looked less and less like people. Their features melted away in an incoherent fleshy mess, and then stopped looking like flesh altogether. They started to look like crackling balls of electric energy like spheres where millions of lightning storms were constantly going off. I was so terrified, but I couldn't tell anybody what was happening, and I couldn't stop going there. I don't know why. I just felt less and less attached to this world and more and more a part of the other. I felt like if I stopped going there, I would vanish. Finally, 
Like I said, my mother admitted me to a hospital overnight. She sat by my side the whole night, as did my friend Charlie. I don't remember what happened, but he told me about it later. Around midnight, I woke Charlie up with my screams. I was yelling about how everything burned, and how I needed to get back to my microwave, and about how I was killing them. A nurse came rushing in, and Charlie heard them talking about giving me some kind of drug before he and my mother were ushered out of the room. And my mom gave them hell and kept demanding to go back in, but they wouldn't let her. Charlie could hear my screams from down the hall. And whatever drug they gave me, it didn't work. I screamed for hours, and finally Charlie couldn't take it anymore. He was a mess, and his parents had to come get him. My mom refused to leave the waiting room for a second. And then, I was awake in the hospital bed, hooked up to all kinds of machines. And for a second, I panicked, thinking that I was back in the other place, but there was no electric light above me, and as I blinked my eyes open, I saw sunlight pouring into the room. Then I saw my mother her face ravished by staying up all night worrying and crying. Mom, I said. It was the first word I'd said in a week, and it was painful coming out of my dry throat, but the sound of my own voice, real in this world, felt magical, like the opening notes of a symphony, or back in those days, the Legend of Zelda theme music. And my mother, she was so beautiful, despite the worry on her face. Dan, she said, jumping up and putting her hand on my head. She leaned down and kissed me on the cheek. How do you feel, honey? Hungry, I said. She smiled and called the nurse in and demanded some food. And I was on my way to recovery. Nobody ever had a satisfactory explanation of what had happened. I didn't show any signs of radiation sickness, of course, because microwaves can't really do that, despite what moms across the world believe. In the end, they settled on sleep deprivation, but that's absolute bullshit. I always felt tired, sure, but I was still getting hours of sleep every night. I don't know what happened either, but I know that it happened. Some kind of combination of waves coming together and showing me another place that's just on the other side of this one. Perhaps the beings there were trying to use me to cross over to this side. I don't know. All that I know is that it happened and that I do all of my cooking with propane now. I hope you enjoyed I Held My Head Near My Microwave for a Month in an Effort to Gain Superpowers. It didn't work. By author Nathaniel Lewis, as performed by Jesse Cornett. If you've enjoyed what you heard tonight... We'd like to remind you to take a moment to stop by our iTunes page and leave us a five-star review and a kind word, and to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. 
And of course, subscribe to us on YouTube, where you can find an archive going back to 2012. And consider signing up as a patron at our website, ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com, to show your support and get all of our content ad-free. Finally, thanks again for today's sponsor, Shudder, and their support of this show. Don't forget, as a listener, you can get 30 days of Shudder totally free by using promo code CTDN. That's right. To try Shudder free for 30 days, go to Shudder.com. That's S-H-U-D-D-E-R.com. And use promo code CTDN to let them know that Otis and the team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights sent you. Simple as that. Once again, that's S-H-U-D-D-E-R dot com and promo code C-T-D-N. I'm your host, Otis Jiry, and it's been a pleasure as always. I'm so glad you were able to join us tonight. Tune in again next week when we once again turn off the lights and turn on the dark. <laughs> Sweet dreams, listener. Sweet dreams. Thanks for joining us. You've been listening to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights, a production of Chilling Entertainment and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com today to learn about more of our network and our other amazing storytelling programs. Tonight's program was hosted by yours truly, Otis Giant. Selected stories have been adapted with the kind permission of their respected authors. Original music provided by Luke Hodgkinson and Jesse Cornett. Sound design and final mixing and mastering by executive producer and director Craig Groshek. Logo by Craig Groshek. If you're looking for some fresh tales while waiting for the next podcast, check out my YouTube channel, Otis Jiry's Horror Storytime, and my extensive collection of narrated tales there. Simply search on YouTube by my name and you'll find me. And don't forget to subscribe and press the bell notification icon to get my latest releases. Or search for my podcast, Scary Stories Told in the Dark, where I perform four brand new tales every episode. Got a scary tale of your own you'd like to perform? We take submissions. Email us today at submissions at chillingtalesfordarknights.com to have your terrifying tone considered for production in a future episode of this show. If you enjoyed what you heard on tonight's program and are joining us on your favorite podcast app, subscribe to us to be sure you never miss an episode and leave us a five-star review and a comment. Your feedback means a lot to us. You can also follow Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and yours truly on Facebook to connect anytime and get the latest updates on this and other programs and my channel. If you're listening on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, do us a favor and hit the subscribe button and the bell notification icon for CTFDN as well. To get more spooky tales from me and the crew each and every week, and don't forget to hit that thumbs up button to tell us how we're doing. Make a kind word or a request. And don't forget to visit us at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and consider supporting the team by becoming a patron. In addition to helping us out, 
you'll get exclusive access to our audio archive and ad-free downloads of all your favorite stories, including those you've heard on this program. We'll be back next week with more terrifying tales to keep you up all night. But that's all right. Who needs sleep anyway? <laughs> Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.